It really had to knock doors. I mean, an immigrant and not speaking the language. There were a lot of obstacles and challenges. And now look back and it's like, wow, all that make me who I am today and make me stronger and, and resilient and the ability to be creative. Like really, the ingenuity that we have as Latinos, it is immense. And this desire to thrive, even though you feel there are not access, it came for me like, didn't see any challenge. I just had to see opportunities. And I had to reset my mind and refrain my mind of seeing opportunities all the time. We're here with Betsa Bay Potaitis. She is the CFO of a blockchain company out of Vegas, Edera and hosted an amazing mansion party <laughs> last night for all the founders and investors here at Latitude. So can you share like, wow, how does one get to be CFO of a blockchain company? Please share your story and just how, where your origins came from and what inspired you to get to where you are today. Thank you. I need three hours. <laughs> I think that for me, blockchain was the result of all my work in financial inclusion and finance. Since very young, I come from a very humble family in Guadalajara. And since very young age, not having at the time role model or guidance or the idea of doing engineering or something else didn't exist. For me, it was only traditional, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, but opportunity to go to school wasn't clear for me. The only thing that I saw was the financial system, banking. I saw banks and having to go to the banks and waiting for hours in line just to pay the light or to pay a lot of interest on credits and things like that. Went with my parents and were like, wow, it feels like there's money here. And that's the only thing that I learned. So I got obsessed into working in financial services to be able to get access to a financial stability. And of course, at the time I was so young, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to gather. It was just shiny. And it was the only thing I saw. And it truly comes from seeing. Like inspiration comes from seeing and from hearing it. And that's how I started my career. So a very early age, I started as a teller in Citibank, Mexico, then grew the ladder then moved to the United States when I was in my early 20s. I always worked and went to school. I really had to knock doors. I mean, being an immigrant and not speaking the language, there were a lot of obstacles and challenges. And now look back and it's, wow, all that makes me who I am today and makes me stronger and, and resilient and the ability to be creative. Like really, the ingenuity that we have as Latinos, it is immense. And this desire to thrive, even though you feel there are not access, it came for me like I didn't see any challenge. I just had to see opportunities. And I had to reset my mind and refrain my mind of seeing opportunities all the time. And like that, I started returning back to work in Citigroup. I was working in financial inclusion and community development, which practically what it is, all the banks and that have branches in the United States need to comply with a regulation called Community Reimbursement Act, which practically what it is, is kind of a license to operate when you have branches. And what it does is the OCC, the Office of the Controller of the Currency in the United States, they encourage banks to give back to the community. And they had to give back in terms of donation, but also in terms of time and teaching people and financial literacy and so on, voluntary work. So that work 
opened my eyes to the entire world and what was happening in terms of how do you alleviate poverty and things that are very close to me and to my heart because I come from there. That's what I know. Like I know what it means to be afraid that you're not going to eat or when I went on my own early on and left house very young and then how are you going to pay the bills? So how can you pay gasoline not having even money for buses sometimes or food? So that's a very dear topic close to my heart. So then what happens is my work in financial inclusion, microfinance, really opened my eyes in terms of there is so much goodness around the world, but it's inefficient. So there's a lot of donations and there's a lot of grants and there are thousands of nonprofits and they're all amazing people. But a lot of that money goes to to pay the salaries, to pay the spaces, the office. And we know they had to survive, but very little actually goes to the beneficiary, very little. So then I start thinking, would technology help? How can technology eliminate those inefficiencies? It was like, okay, financial inclusion, then how do you you start moving forward into thinking, what are the, the emerging technologies that can help you to really eliminate the biases in society, the biases from data, the technology that is going to allow you to be more effective, that actually can reach the masses, can reach the real beneficiary, can reach the little girl in Guadalajara and be able to understand what is a wallet and figure out what other options out there that could make my life a lot better and has the potential in a way to alleviate poverty. That's how everything started. Wow. <laughs> started. So, That's so how it sounded started. like you getting out of your comfort zone, going all the way to the UK, and look at how much it just grew, the opportunities grew. So I'm, I'm very passionate about helping to bridge the wealth gap. I think we're both like on the same mission right. here, right? Yes. And, you know, a lot of that is just the lack of financial literacy and access. And we don't grow up talking about money. But yet every single day of our lives, we have to make a financial decision. So how, with your experience, you are the expert here, and then you're revolutionizing it in a whole nother field, non-conventional. How are you helping to solve that? And how can we solve that? In my current role and through my work in blockchain, one of the things that I get more and more involved is really helping understand what blockchain is and the use cases. I mean, we have this misconception that blockchain is cryptocurrencies. And as you all know, there are so many bad news from companies and bad actors. And that bad actors bring negative connotation and links to an industry that really has amazing use cases. So in my world, one of the things that we look at a lot is stable coins and payment coins. So really what it is, is a token. It is cryptographic token that has a right or a value attached to it. And the way that I can make it more tangible and real for people is as Mexican immigrant, I still send money home and I send to my mother and my family and I help them a lot. And I don't use banking rails anymore. And what I, I remember in my current company, I have access, powered by compensation and everything. It's a, through tokens. And I remember I got my first tokens and digital assets. And what I did immediately is I went to my wallet and I sent it to my mother to pay a lot of things that she had to for healthcare, for family, for living and everything. I was so excited that I did it in less than a minute. 
And I just ran to work remotely. And in blockchain, primarily is decentralized world. And now after COVID, it's a lot more easy for all of us to be decentralized. I remember being at home and running to my husband's office and say, oh my God, I love blockchain. I could not have done it. So think about it. How many immigrants we still send home money? And we are paying 7%. 10% or you are in lines to be able to do it. I was in the comfort of my home, on my shirt, with my wallet, sending it in less than a minute and I paid less than 1%. Yeah. And that's what gives me passion because to build financial sustainability, it's not like I'm going to become rich tomorrow. I'm going to buy the lotto and tomorrow is going to be a hundred million. It doesn't work like that. It is a small increments. And we used to think it's smart about every single thing you do. Okay, do you going to buy the $20 chocolate or do you prefer to put those $20 to pay a fraction of a stock or put it on savings? And then the savings will give you some interest. It is accumulative. Wealth and financial sustainability is not something that you just happens for not for everyone. I mean, there is the 1% and amazing for them. But many of us would need to work really hard and we need to be very smart on how we're doing things. So when I think about payments and remittance, okay, you can save 6%, 7% in time. Time is time is money. currency. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And tell us, so you left off with, you were the founder of the company. Mm -hmm. And so then how did you build and end up where you are now at Hedera, the CFO of Hedera. <laughs> yes. So that company, when we started in 2017, we were three co-founders and then we hit crypto winter. We call crypto winter when there was market when nothing was moving and there were also another bad news at the time about all the ICOs. The ICOs is initial coin offerings when many people were just taking advantage, greed, always taking advantage of other people. So that brought a lot of negative energy and created a bear market, a very low market. So during the time as an entrepreneur, I wasn't making money. So most entrepreneurs will understand that at that time you live on credit cards. So you're building a company and at the same time building credit cards. And when you're a huge build, you're like, oh my gosh, we all go through it. Yeah. Ridiculous interest rates. Yeah, yeah. and you're like, just in this continuous cycle, it's never get it out of a hole. Yeah. So then it was that compounding with the fact that sadly, my friend Stefan, who is a German fellow on the debate, that when I learned about crypto blockchain, passed away from cancer. So that for me was a very emotional experience, but it taught me a lot as an entrepreneur, like one of your co-founders passed away. What happened to the company? And he was a technical co-founder. What happened to it? How do you deal with it? And then I start finding that throughout my life, I have had some very rough moments and patches, but all those make me stronger and make me think differently and make me more humble and empathetic to different circumstances. I need, at that time, needed to be empathetic to the investors. How do they feel? The technical co-founder in a technical company, what's going to happen to the company? So what at that time for me was the right solution and I talked to the investors is to step down and be part of the company still, but not operating. At that time, we needed to people to consolidate and really rethink the strategy. So I stepped down as operator of the company. I still am a co-founder, but still done as operator. And then I started to work at Buy Now, Pay Later company. The funny thing is that Buy Now, Pay Later company which is buy now and you pay small interest and you pay over, I don't know, five weeks or three weeks. I mean, the small is small. It's like you're going to go buy a perfume and you buy it in installment payments. 
funny thing. And I was super excited. Oh my God, going to go to a serious C company. It's a lot more stable. And then I'm going to have to struggle going back to having a nice salary. And I love the industry. It was in trouble. Like I love an industry. Like, okay, it's not traditional finance. It is buy now, pay later. It has a lot of components of AI and technology to be able to price the interest to price the, the ability of repayment and to price the risk. And I was super excited. And then travel, oh my God, the ethos of travel, people that love travel would understand immigrants, would understand others. But what happened is I joined the company on February 2020. Oh, in March. We all know what happened at that time. <laughs> so we all remember. Uh, okay. It was from being here to going here, the revenues and it, okay, and everything changed again. So I was with the company through COVID through years, luckily recently got sold, but I was always connected to blockchain. So I went to that company and then I was like, okay, I want to go back to blockchain. Like, this is too easy. This is too traditional for me. I like the emerging technology. I like to solve really, really tough problems because it's really solving humanity problems. It's really solving things that use cases that, again, we need like another three hours to tell the use <laughs> cases, but things that technology has the potential to completely transform people or lives in a very good way. And I'm optimistic about it, but we need to come all together to work on it. And I want to be part of it. So working in blockchain, I feel like I'm part of writing history. I feel like people that work early on in Google or Facebook and all those big companies, they were history. They were part of history. So I feel like this is another wave and I'm being part of history because now blockchain is the very needed ledger to feed the algorithms for AI. Blockchain is truly a ledger, a table of data that is immutable and it cannot be corrupted. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> I always try to educate, especially our young professionals that are coming up, and sometimes they go throughout their career not having any opportunities with a P&L, with a, their profit and loss, having that responsibility of managing a budget and having that financial background. And you've got it all. You know, and the second thing that why there's such a gap and not enough women on board seats, you know, they were saying one is having that experience financially because, of course, businesses that they're looking for people that can provide oversight and help the company succeed. But those two things are lacking sometimes, the financial background and being able to deal with crisis management. And it's like, through your story, oh you God. have dealt with I have it a lot of crisis in my times life. over. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you face so many different challenges and just bounced right back and, hey, let me step back and put my strategy together. And so I was like, wow, if you're not already on a board, they need to be looking out for you. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> Yeah, that takes a lot of my time. So eventually, I would love to be on a board eventually at the right time. But what you said about jumping right in, it is really like taking calculated risk. Every time that I had to do with something, believe me, I felt the pain on my stomach through my guts. And there were times that even my own family didn't understand what I was doing. I actually believe, I think that my mom and my dad don't understand what I do. Mine don't understand. Yeah. I don't even understand. <laughs> my brothers either don't understand. And it took me a long time to convince my husband to trust me. Like, I'm making the right thing. He's like, no, you're not. Like, yeah, trust me. And I just went for it. But it's more like calculatories because in my mind, and I was like that since very young age when I decided I want to be a tailor as a teenager. 
And the way that I got there wasn't also easy. It was knocking at doors, asking people, please give me an opportunity. Staying outside of the office for like eight hours until someone will see me. And persistent. And yes, persistent. I'm not going to accept yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things for me, like I became an entrepreneur because, yes, people don't come and give us things in hands. Fine. But that forces us to be incredibly resourceful. So in my mind is, if I become an entrepreneur, I will have to create my own culture. And then it will put me in another skill. So I took those risks knowing that every single step is education, is knowledge. And knowledge gets you closer to your goal. Like everything that I have done in my life from, ten, from very crazy pivots, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very crazy pivots. I became an entrepreneur when my daughter was just two months old and she was born extremely premature. That was another challenge by itself. How do you deal with that? I remember having to go to the NICU. She was in NICU for three months, the you know, intensive care unit for three months. And I remember I have to go to work every day in the afternoon to go to the hospital. And the first mom, every day, they were telling me, your dad is not going to be alive. And it's like coming back to the hospital is like, would she be alive? Would they call me tonight? And then when you start dealing with that, it just it really becomes, okay, I need to build my own story. And just need to build it. I cannot let others to do it for me. And yes, it's risky. And yes, I got in deep debt after becoming an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of things, but at the end, it's so rewarding and there is light at the end. So that's how I made my changes. That's how, for me, technology, I'm obsessed because truly represents challenge. And once you overcome one challenge, the other challenge is like, okay, it's like having a little buckets of knowledge. And then, oh, I have a little bucket here, I have here, I have there. And let me start picking from each of those buckets. And then you make a new reality. You have an incredible journey. Thank you for sharing. And obviously capable of anything. I'm telling you, one day I can't wait to see you because we saw John Leguizamo today on the main stage at Latitude talking about how early in his career there was typecast, right? There's no Latinos represented in movies and in shows and finally he had to do theater. But it's same thing with women CFOs and Latina CFOs. Yes. So it is like so important and I'm so happy that you're here on the show and showing that oftentimes people see the end, but they don't understand it was a journey and all the different challenges that come along with that, that now you're here. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. <laughs> so funny. Let me share with you. One time I was on a, during COVID, on a virtual CFO gathering and we were three CFOs that they interviewed us. There were two CFOs male from a more like established companies and I was in, at that time, the buy now, pay later company, which is Series C. It's not like they were in public companies. And they were interviewing, and one of the interviews, the interviewer asked me, says, I just have to ask, we don't see often Latinas in CFO roles in companies like you. And I even answered, like, yeah, at that moment I paused because I wasn't expecting her to bring the reality in front of me and make it highlighted that way. And I said, yeah, that's real, but I don't see it. Yes, it's true. It's the reality, but I don't want to see it because the more I separate myself, I feel like I'm not going to be able to bring more. It's more about, I feel like I'm equally qualified and that we're just going to start gradually becoming more and more. And we should change the narrative and start saying, oh, you are of color. 
listen to what I'm saying. I'm smart that other people, it doesn't matter. Like, let's remove these biases. Yes, yes. And let's talk about how can we bring more like you? Yeah, and you also had shared that a little bit on the panel about the gender pay gap and... And oh, how, yeah, that's, that, that's everything is real. <laughs> you have to ask for it. I mean, I've been in positions that they were really jobs that I wanted, like that job. I really wanted the one that I shared in the panel. And it took very strong conviction. If I let this go, I will always be underpaid. And I was, just for context, I was been promoted. And at the time, my new supervisor was giving me the offering that was giving me verbally in person. And they gave me like, a, like they offered a fraction of what my peers were making. And I just, I wanted the job so badly, but I wanted to be truly friendly. So when I said, thank you, but no, and don't going to take this role because this is not what I'm expecting in compensation. I didn't even negotiate it. Like You I'm, have to know your value and exactly. you have to put your foot down or else that gender pay gap, it's never going to close. They say it's going to take 250 years. I know, it should not take that long. Yeah, no, so we yeah. need to like lean into our negotiating power yeah. and understand what our value yeah. is. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. It just, it gave me chills and yeah. you shared that. Yeah. <laughs> what happened at that moment is that, I mean, I remember like his body expression when he leaned back, look at me like, hmm, who are you? Like for the first time he was looking at me. He was not looking through me. He was looking at me saying, you can actually defend yourself. So you're going to do a job, good in this job. Let's sit down and talk about numbers. <laughs> I stayed at the job and it was an amazing, amazing opportunity and I learned so much. I'm very grateful. But like that, it was not the only time. It has been over and over. It has been also jobs when I, I interviewed and I didn't feel comfortable on how I was treated. That I had to pull my candidacy even though I wanted the job so badly. But I've been in jobs that I have not right bosses, and those are painful. And one of the things as women, we are like, we're going to fix it, we're going to fix it. And yes, sometimes we have constraints financial. I mean, you build over time. It takes years to be able to do that. And sometimes you cannot say no, but sometimes you need to say no to maintain sanity and keep your strength for the next one and for the next battle and for the, this battle. And I made it. you have to say no. Yeah. And then a better opportunity is that you could be passing up if you had not said that no. Yeah. Yes, right? absolutely. And I said no. And I've been in jobs that one job one time that I was for three months. And no, no, this is not a culture for me. This is not at all. It was the first week that I felt anxiety. And like, I just couldn't be there. And it took me a lot to realize. And it sometimes feel like, am I failing? Should I try harder? And one of my very good girlfriends, he came to me and she says, failure is the fact that you're not recognizing that this is going to hurt you. Mm. Wow. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> can you say, can you please repeat that? Yeah. I, everybody needs to hear this. Yeah, it is. Uh, failure is not recognizing that by not making a decision, this is going to hurt you and your family. Not protecting yourself and your own sanity is not protecting people around you, but primarily us. And that hurts. And I've been there. So when she said that, it's like, yes, I've been there. I need to do something. I need to leave this company so I will not hurt myself. And what came after was incredibly much better and uh, a lot happier. And I feel, and I can tell you that today in my role, in terms of compensation, I'm equally paid to my peers. Yes. <laughs> As you should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Betsabe. 
I appreciate you so much for taking the time to share your story, to inspire and empower other women and other and children, our sons and daughters and men and women who are tuned into the show. What an incredible journey that you have and so excited to continue to follow you and Thank see what's you. next in your path because we know you're not going to just take anything, you know, <laughs> if it's not for you, you're going <laughs> to... Yeah, if it's not for me, don't yes. understand. Yeah, we'll see. Still, blockchain needs a lot of help and and the more we educate people and people that are curious, and there's a lot of information out there, I'd really encourage everyone, particularly immigrants, when we're looking at remittances, take a look at all the products out there and technology that can really help. And don't be scared of technology. In that I was scared at the beginning, but then I loved it and I'm in the rabbit hole and I'm super geeky. <laughs> I love technology because it has the potential to truly make our lives better. Thank you. Thank Muchas you. Gracias. Que muchas gracias. Yeah. <laughs>